For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Meat Lovers Pizza from Pizza Hut. With over one pound of meat and cheese. Pepperoni, bacon, pork, beef, ham, and sausage. Man, that's a lot of meat. $12.99 for a limited time. No one out pizzas the hut. Extra charge for certain crusts. Availability, prices, and combinability of discounts vary. At Freedom Mortgage, freedom means helping veterans use their homes for better living. Whether that be through refinancing your mortgage, accessing cash through your home's equity, or helping you purchase a new home, making home financing a custom fit. That's freedom. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash VA to learn more. Freedom Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 2767, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org, 951 Yamato Road, Boca Raton, Florida, 33431, 800-220-3333, licensed in all 50 states. For complete licensing information, visit www.freedommortgage.com forward slash state dash licensing. Equal housing opportunity. What's up, everybody? It's your boy B. Scott with the Philadelphia Eagles. I just want to thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating. Fly, Eagles, fly. Thanks for tuning in to Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network. However, you're listening, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get the pod. We greatly appreciate it. I'm joined now by NBC Sports, Roto World's lead college football and NFL draft analyst, Thor Nystrom, joining the show to talk about the Eagles rookies. Thor, thanks for joining the show, my guy. Good to be here, Connor. Appreciate it. Appreciate you joining the show. So, on the on my old podcast, we talked about a lot about the rookies in the upcoming class, and two of the players that we talked about, in, like we've talked about Rager and Hurts pretty well on, the, on my old previous podcast, but now they became Philadelphia Eagles, so I can't wait to dive into you about how you feel about them and how you feel about their fit with the team. Let's just start off with Jalen Rager, the speed, that dynamic, the playmaking ability, something the Eagles lacked in the wide receiver corps last year. They don't really have a long term option outside of him. What do you think about Jalen Rager joining the Eagles? Do you think it's a good fit? Yeah, I think it's a great fit. Yeah, um, you know, Rager, I mean, he tested, I mean, you talk about like adding athleticism to the offense. He tested in the 93rd percentile, and I think me and everyone else that does this thinks that Rager did not test as well as he probably could have or should have. You know, mm-hmm. some guys just have a bad day at the combine. I think he's even more athletic than he showed in Indy. Um, you know, truly one of the most explosive players coming out of college football last year. And if you put Regor in, you know, Alabama, LSU, um, you know, one of these other wide, Oklahoma, you know, one of these other wide open passing offenses, I think you're talking about a guy who could have, I mean, he definitely would have competed for the Bolitnikov forward, but, you know, who knows, maybe even for the Heisman, you know, some of these past couple of years. I mean, he was a stud in college football. And, Connor, you're going to know this stat, but, like, you know, there there's a PFF stat about, you know, uh, on on target balls thrown to you, you know, over the course of the season or whatever. Jalen Ragor of the past receiver class had by far the lowest percentage of any receivers, like thirty three percent of the balls thrown his way were catchable, you know, or on target. Um, whereas a guy like Justin Jefferson, um, I think he was in the seventieth, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of percentage of balls that were thrown on target to him. So, you know, Ragor did did not have the opportunities that a lot of other guys in this class did merely because quarterback play was not good over the past couple of years at TCU. But, you know, I think Philadelphia smartly saw that there's a lot more potential than you could see in sort of his, you know, just baseline numerical profile. So when he first originally got drafted, I, obviously everybody thought the Eagles were going to go ahead and get Justin Jefferson, or he was mostly widely mocked to the Eagles. The Eagles go ahead and take Rager over him in that instance. A lot of people were worried because there's draft reports out there that compared him to Nelson Aguilar. There's there's scouting reports that say drops are an issue. When I look back at his tape, I, I don't know about you, but I know last year he had seven drops, and he, he even had his opening presser with the Eagles that said, I got to work on the drop situations. I got to work on my consultation drops. But the year prior, he had 131 targets and four drops. I think the difference between 
uh, Sean Robinson and Max Dugan was probably, I think Sean put a lot more touch on the football per se. And I, I think he was the better quality quarterback to be completely honest with you. I mean, Dugan was a true freshman quarterback who we're not even sure if he belongs as a starting quarterback in college football yet up to this point going off of last year. That's absolutely not the case, but, uh, I, I think that plays into it a little bit. I don't want to, I, I, I think that people exaggerate his drop issues a little bit, but I know he even alluded to himself that he does have concentration drop issues. But to me, I mean, uh, I believe you compared him to Brandon Cooks, and that's that's something that the Eagles need in their offense. They need the playmaking uh, type wide receiver because Deshaun Jackson's hitting on 34 years old. Outside of that, they have nothing. And I know we're going to get into it later in the draft because they added some other speed guys, but. Uh, to me, I I think this is the perfect guy. I'm I was so high on Jalen Rager, anyways. On uh, 27 contested catch receptions last year, which was most of any first round wide receiver. You just see how he plays outside of his his frame, outside of his uh his size. I think playing with the inaccurate quarterback play, if anything, helped him become even a more polished pro because he catches so many balls outside his frame. You wouldn't believe it until you turn on his film. Absolutely. Yeah, and again, you know, talking for a guy, it was 31% of the balls last year were thrown on target for him, you know, in comparison to some of these other guys who were, you know, all the other first-round guys really were in the 60 percentiles. But CeeDee Lamb was 59. Um, but, yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, because you have to bail those balls out, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you're going to learn a skill that way. And, you know, Rigor, even though, you know, for his profile, the, the way he plays his athleticism, stuff like that, you might think that he would just be a pure slot guy, but he's actually not. Like, at TCU, he played predominantly on the outside. That's where he was last year or whatever. And you, know, you talk about the difference between, um, you know, Jefferson and Ragor, the evals. You know, I'm not sure what the Eagles saw in that. But, you know, we've seen in recent days reports coming out of Philadelphia that Ragor's practicing on the outside. That's where he played last year at TCU. You know, and, and like you mentioned, like, he had to salvage a lot of bad balls. And I, I think once he finds a quarterback – with accuracy, you know, both the arm strength, of course, to get him the ball wherever he needs to get it because he can win at all three levels of the field, but also the accuracy so he doesn't have to on every play, you know, be slowing down or, you know, trying to catch a ball behind him or one-handed or, you know, whatever. Um, once he finds a quarterback who can hit him on the hands when he's in stride, we're going to see Jalen Ragor really level up. And, and we, we saw that a couple years back. You know, I mean, he, he's already shown on the Big 12 field. Last year it was just, a you know, an issue of quarterback play where if you're just – not even getting it close. The numbers are going to dip a little bit, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. But yeah, I, I like to fit a lot, you know, and, and, and again, go back to the reports out of Philadelphia. Ragor has been playing on the outside. He's been practicing on the outside, you know, and obviously they got Jackson in the slot, you know, and, and Philadelphia obviously made a determination during the draft. They were going to keep him. I'm not sure what they saw, you know, as far as Justin Jefferson, like, you know, Justin Jefferson can find it the slot. Is that something that Philadelphia thought? I'm not sure. Minnesota certainly going to try to play Jefferson on the outside because they, they play a lot of two wide receiver mm-hmm. sets, you know, with, with Rudolph and, and Irv Smith. So I, I'm not sure if Philadelphia was just sort of sitting dead red on the improved athleticism outside. You know, you, you mentioned a couple of guys we'll talk about later, both burners that they took later on. Maybe that was a part of the thing with Ray, or maybe it was that they thought, you know, it was, it was a smoother transition to playing outside because that, that's what he played last year. But, you know, either way, I think it's a it's a good fit for a team that needed um, wide receiver play, playmaking on the outside, but specifically more athleticism in that receiving court. Right. I think they just wanted to take the bet on the playmaker for once instead of going with the safe option because that just hasn't worked out for them in the past. And, I mean, Jefferson's great and everything like that, but I, it's more of what they have already. Uh, they need somebody that could be like a playmaker downfield, and especially with how you study the, the the game and have you, I mean, I know you're very familiar with North Dakota State, watching Carson Wentz's deep ball accuracy each year as a pro steadily improves. Uh, last year, I, I want to go back to like week one for, uh, when he had Deshaun Jackson. He, he Those air yards he put into that pass that he, uh, those two touchdown passes to Jackson were like 40 yards plus. So, I mean, uh, to get a guy like Rager who's definitely going to get that separation downfield and then have finally have that quarterback that can get it to him, uh, who knows how long it's going to be now with the with the Eagles win with their second round pick? But uh, I like the fit with Wentz and Rager. I think that's the perfect quarterback wide receiver fit. And then I just think another thing that sets Rager apart is the NFL pedigree with his father playing football. I think he knows what it takes to be an NFL player because he saw his dad put in the work and dedication to be a longtime pro, Super Bowl champion. Uh, to me, I was completely on board with them taking Rager over Jefferson. I know the initial shock was uh, throughout the fan base and throughout really the media world was. The fact that they passed on the proven uh, polished guy in Justin Jefferson, but I just think that's 
what the Eagles have been so accustomed to, especially with you consider last year when they drafted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. That's really what they did with that pick. They took the established wide receiver at that pick instead of really what maybe fit their personal needs per se. So maybe that's why this time around they uh, shied away from Justin Jefferson and went with a playmaker. Because I don't know about you, but from what I, from from my perspective looking at the league, when a, a rookie wide receiver is transitioning, the guys that have the playmaking ability usually have the smoother transitions than the guys that have to win press coverage or physical type guys. Uh, is that something that you see as well, you believe? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, receivers that come into the NFL that where their calling card is contested catches – Generally, that's sort of a code word for they don't quite have the juice to create separation in college, or else they wouldn't be in so many contested situations. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I would agree with the sentiment in general, for sure. Uh, just throwing in here a wild card real quick, because I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Last year, where were you on J.J. Osega-Whiteside? Because he came to Philadelphia, and I mean, I'm sure you're aware completely snug up the place. Where, what were you thinking uh, of him coming out of Stanford? Yeah, I don't think I was as high on him as, as the Eagles ended up using, you know, in terms of draft equity. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at Stanford, he was a jump ball guy. That was a, you know, Stanford has a really weird offense. Very um, weird, you know, yeah. Shot. It, you know, he sort of has the NFL thing, but they they went, you know, especially after Bryce Love's injury and stuff like that, it became just this jump ball offense where they they just send big guys down the field. And so I think my concern for our Sega white side was there's a little bit of athletic limitations there and you're winning on a bunch of rebounds against Pac-12 defensive backs. Yes. So in the NFL, you know, when you're not going to be able to just use your frame, you know, and, and, and the athleticism, um, you know, it's going to play down just a bit, you know, because everyone else is going to get more athletic, obviously, at the next level. My my concern for him was that the, the game might not completely translate um, but, you know, it's it's early for him. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I try not to judge rookies, you know, or guys coming into the league until a couple of years in. But, yeah, certainly a, a tough acclim- acclimation process for him. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. I agree. That's exactly what I've been saying because uh, when you win in those contested situations, when you're a jump ball enthusiast, it's nice and all. But when you're in the Pac-12 not facing a ton of press coverage, that's a whole different ball game when you get to the NFL. So I agree with you in that sentiment. But, Let's segue into this Jalen Hurts shock. Uh, obviously, that was probably the most uh, biggest shock of that whole entire 2020 draft. The Eagles taking Jalen Hurts in the second round. Uh, with your best compare, uh, you had the best comparison in the draft community for sure with uh, the Ricky Rubio comparison. I, I completely understand it in the context of what you meant, in it, and I believe that to be incredibly true. What are your feelings about Hurts behind Wentz and Peterson and the whole entire uh, offensive personnel company in Philadelphia? Yeah, so just, I mean, speaking to the uh, the Ricky Rubio comp, which, um, you know, I, I just thought it was too perfect, and I just had to do it for comedy reasons, on, you know, once I thought of it. But, you know, Hertz is a guy, and, and, and I'll say this too in advance, I'm coming to you guys from Minneapolis, like, I'm, I'm a Timberwolves fan, I'm one of the very few diehard Timber, Minnesota Timberwolves fans, and so, like, Ricky Rubio coming up, like, I watch all his games coming up and, like, stuff like that, you know, and, you know, for several years in the league before... Um, you know, he finally left the, the Timberwolves or whatever. But I, I just saw, you know, overall in terms of their the, the way that, you know, Rubio's game is and the way that Hertz's evaluation was, you know, from watching the last couple of years, they just saw, I just saw some striking similarities where, you know, Rubio's a guy who, he, tremendous passer, you know, he plays pretty solid defense. You know, he, he's, he's sort of solid everywhere except for shooting. He can't shoot downtown. So, like, you know, players would always play off of him by quite a bit. And what was frustrating as a Timberwolves fan during Ricky Rubio's formative years is that the, the Timberwolves would surround him with, like, these wing players that they take, like, 6-7 overall every single year that were good slashers but couldn't shoot. And so, you know, Rubio was always sort of, you know, he wasn't given space, but he could sort of create looks for other players, you know, by hitting them with these passes but then they were not players that, you know, would just shoot it up or whatever. If they got an open look and shoot a three, then they were looking to drive it or whatever. And so it just wasted what Rubio was good at. In the same way with Jalen Hurts, he does some very specific things very, very, very well. And he does one thing very poorly. Um, you know, the things he does well is, you know, very good mobility um, and in a slightly different way than we've seen, you know, in the past, you know, you know, I mean, with, you know, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and then going back to Michael Vick, it's a bit different in terms of mobility where Hertz is, he, he's got the athleticism, not as quite, quite as high octane as, as those guys, but what he is, he's a former Texas high school state, you know, champion uh, power lifter. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was doing since he was a kid or whatever. And so 
he's got the power behind it too. Whereas, you know, some of those guys are more like you watch them in the open field. It's more like watching a kick returner. Whereas Hertz is more of like a, you know, true, like uh, halfback that, that can sort of, you know, bowl people over when, when he needs to or whatever. The other thing that Hertz is really good at is short and intermediate, especially intermediate section of the field it was an absolute killer in the intermediate se- sector in college. Um, in, in part because of his, you know, the way he plays, and then also the way that that facilitated to the offensive uh, skill talent around him, and the way that both those the Alabama and Oklahoma played offense, where it became a lot of um, you're talking about read option RPOs, and then once you get the defense just terrified of the run game because they always were against Alabama and Oklahoma. Um, Hertz was really, really good at just sticking his foot in the dirt right up, mm-hmm. right at the play fake, and just hitting someone right in stride. You know, streaking across the intermediate sector. That's something you can see him doing with Ragor. You know, if, like if if the Eagles ever go fully to this style of offense, because they're going to have to change their offense if if Hertz ever takes over full time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think he can get by. You know, in just a normal situation, just coming in. Um, you know, injury type thing. But if you're gonna, if you want Jalen Hurts to succeed, to his full ability. Um, in, in my estimation, it's always been a thing where you're going to have to sort of recater the offense to look sort of like um, the Titans had that thing a couple years ago where they would talk about exotic smash mouth football. You know, it became sort of a joke. But the, the offense that I would see Jalen Hurts succeeding for in the NFL would look like sort of what I think of what an ex- exotic smash mouth system would look like, where it would be sort of up-tempo, um, you, you would have three receivers on the field, you'd have a lot of motion, and then you'd be doing a lot of you know, RPOs, read options, right. um, play out fakes, um, stuff like that. And with the run game, you, you know, you're running up tempo, everything like that. You could just pound people. And what, so what Hertz is not good at is throwing the ball down the field. He doesn't mm-hmm. have a bazooka for an arm number one. And while he's really good at, um, you know, like, you know, again, short intermediate accuracy and stuff like that, you know, like I said, just, one, two steps, and then putting his foot in the dirt and then letting her rip with the guy who's got a couple steps on the defender. It, in terms of downfield, it, it's both an arm uh, limitation and then just a reading defense thing. It, it just seems like he's Hurts is far less comfortable when it's like, you know, one beat, two beat, three beat, four beat, he's sort of tapping the ball, and then he's, he's sort of waiting for routes to progress. That's not his, his comfort zone. His comfort zone is, is his playing up tempo, getting the defense back on their heels, and then play action hit someone and he could do that he, he could do that all day so you know if if, if he ever became the guy long term that's how you would want to sort of recater um your offense but in terms of throwing deep i just don't ever see him being that kind of a guy but again you know it's it's a just like ricky rubio when he has the right offense around him when he's in the right system that will succeed you you, you can absolutely cater a system around a player with the strengths that Jalen Hurts has, and I haven't even, I haven't even mentioned yet, he doesn't turn the ball over, mm-hmm. period. He doesn't fumble it, he doesn't throw interceptions. And the reason is because he understands the limitations. He understands that he's not the best at reading sort of these advanced covers, looks downfield, you know, waiting, whatever, like sort of nuanced throwing guys open. Um, and then he also understands his arm strength limitations as well. So he knows what he's good at. He stays within his own game. And I think if an NFL team tailored sort of an offensive scheme around him, um, and then also sort of surrounded him with players that, that sort of fit that, um, you know, which, which they could, and Raylor, I, I think absolutely does, you know, again, going back to like an Alabama, Oklahoma type receiver, he absolutely is. Um, I, I think that could work, but, you know, I, I think initially, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, people questioning that pick. I didn't, um, I, you know, I, I think maybe I was one of the few guys that, that didn't, you know, I, it's not like I got up and celebrated it, but I thought that's absolutely where he should have been pegged. And for, you know, the Eagles, like, you know, you talk about, like, NFL teams, quarterbacks have a lot of value, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're always going to have trade value, and you need two of them. You just do. And so I don't see what the issue is with picking a quarterback in the second round who, if nothing else, is going to be an awesome locker room guy. He's going to be an awesome sub-package guy. He's probably going to be a coach someday. And as far as being a backup quarterback in the NFL, at, you know, at the very minimum, he should be an okay backup he should retain trade value as well unless he just absolutely falls on his face. And if he excels, you know, going the other way, he's absolutely going to be worth his draft equity. You know, whether, you know, you trade Wentz, you trade him, I think it's just going to work out. But you're going to have to, you know, whether it's salary cap money, whether it's draft equity, you're going to have to, you're going to have to devote some money into the back of quarterbacks. Every team does, you know, unless you just want to put yourself in a really bad situation 
and the Eagles now have have done so in such a way where they retain trade value potentially in future trade markets. And I just think that's really important. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I don't think it's a deal where you just sink a, a round two pick into a guy and if Carson Wentz remains healthy and, and playing really well, that you just lose the asset and hurts. You don't at all. You, you got a really good backup quarterback. You got a guy who's going to be awesome in some packages. You potentially have a guy who can take over down the road, or you know, certainly with injuries, whatever. And you also have a guy you could potentially trade, mm-hmm. right, in in a year or two if everything goes well with Wentz. So, I personally, I, I was totally, totally, totally fine with the Jalen Hurts pick. So I'm I'm loving some of these points because I've been saying for months, ever since this pick happened, that the 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 Eagles must feel like when they went back and won the Super Bowl. What changed with them the most was they switched the offense to an RPO-type system for Nick Foles to operate like he did with Chip yeah. Kelly, and that's what won the Super Bowl. So that's why I'm thinking if the Eagles are taking Hurts here, they're thinking this is the perfect guy to run the RPO system, and he brings mobility to it, with, whereas Nick Foles didn't. So here's my thing, though. A lot of people think that this could be some kind of thing where Hurts comes in and then potentially might take Carson Wentz's job, which who knows it's just too early to tell because again the durability issues are there with Carson once to me though I think Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback I think he can be a starting quarterback in the league like you said if you build the offense and tailor it to his leisure because the arm I think it's a lot of mechanics with him uh again I think he was what three seconds getting the ball out last year which would have been dead last in the NFL uh can't it has to be out way faster than that so uh, that little hitch that he has in his his throw, I'm 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 wondering how Press Taylor and Doug Peterson are gonna uh, focus in on that with him. But the footwork is amazing. The mobility is there. He you have to take his mobility as a threat. Uh, if Carson Wentz goes down, though, I don't think that Jalen Hurts can necessarily come in and take the Eagles' job from him. I just don't think he's on the caliber that Carson Wentz is. And a lot of it has to do with arm talent, is why I believe so. But I agree with you. I mean, the Eagles are in a cap situation where they're completely screwed next year. Uh, and then the years prior, I mean, you're paying all this money to Carson Wentz. You can't really allocate a ton of resources to the quarterback room when you're already paying a huge contract as is. I just think the simple facts behind this pick were, like you just said, trade value because you could always get a good trade value, especially at a quarterback with a potential like Hurts. And the Eagles wanted a good caliber backup where they don't have to pay a huge salary to. I don't think this is any indictment on Wentz. I don't think it has anything to do with Wentz long term. If he does get hurt again, and who knows, maybe there's an Andrew Luck situation with Carson Wentz because he's a brand new father and injuries have piled on him in his career, even dating back at North North Dakota State. Then the Eagles are in a good situation. I I, I struggled to find as at first when that first pick was announced, I was like, oh my god, they used this pick on backer quarterback because to me, there's just no way that they decommit from Carson Wentz unless he just dramatically drops off the face of the earth or just gets injured and can't play that much anymore. But now with with all the time pass, reading the tea leaves, seeing what kind of player Hurts can be in this offense, especially in the RPO system, I think the Eagles can definitely, uh, if they were in a position where they were being the first seed and Carson once goes down, they can continue their their uh, their momentum with inserting Jalen Hurts in the RPO type system. But I just think it's simple that he's here to back up Wentz. And I mean, I know that's just talking. Uh, I don't really know if that's going to be the case because Carson Wentz can obviously go down, but I just don't think there's going to be a situation where if he does go down that Jalen Hurts comes on the field and uh, proves to the Eagles that he should get be handed the job because I just don't think he's on the caliber of Carson Wentz. I think he's a good quarterback, but I just don't think he's on Carson Wentz's caliber. Well, I mean, certainly not now, right? Mm-hmm, like, right. Certainly not now. Um, you know, this is a guy who needs a little bit of time. He, he Again, he has these specific skills but in terms of like sitting back in an nfl pocket um you know even if it's in a thing where um you know jalen hurts his rushing ability combined with his rpo and, and his read option ability which are tremendous i mean whatever running back gets to work with jalen hurts in the future if jalen hurts becomes an nfl starting quarterback mm-hmm. yeah he's a very lucky dude um especially if you know an offense sort of changes to cater like i was talking about earlier to, to hurts his ability um, but yeah, I, I mean, initially, no, I mean, you know, he, he's not close to Carson Wentz right now. And I, you know, I, I think for people that are judging the pick sort of through that, um, you know, prism or, or, or that paradigm, I, I, I don't think they're judging it as the Eagles intended it. I don't mm-hmm. think the pick at all was an indictment of Carson Wentz. Again, there's, there's other factors going on, you know, there, I, I think like, you know, NFL fans, they have, you know, and, and maybe this is just people in general, you know, with life, but they, 
you know, they have a tendency to be sort of myopic when they look at someone else's decision and sort of just um, boil it down to one factor. And in this case, it was like, oh, you know, Eagles use their second pick on a quarterback. Therefore, you know, it, it must be they're saying something about Carson Wentz. Well, I don't think so. You know, it's it, again, it's not an asset that depreciates. After, it, it's not like buying a new car and you drive it off the lot and it's worth half as much. You take a quarterback who has tools, um, you know, in the second round, as long as he shows something, whenever he gets on the field, he's going to have some level of trade value. You know, I mean, like um, Taysom Hill, who is just, you know, at best, just sort of a homeless man's Jalen Hurts. He has trade value, mm-hmm. right? Just because of some of the stuff that he's showing on the field. And he's only throwing, what, 12 NFL passes at this point? Right. Jalen Hurts can do everything that Taysom Hill can do, you know, in terms of Taysom Hilly things. But he's a much better thrower. Right, so like that player is worth more, or is is it worth? I should say is worth at least a second round pick. If Jalen Hurts proves that he can, you know, sort of get over some of these thresholds and get past some of these event horizons that I'm talking about, you know, in terms of like being an NFL quarterback, you know, things like you're talking about, like you know, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to solve the loopy deal delivery, but they, they didn't solve it with like Philip Rivers and stuff like that. True. He's just going to have to learn different sort of mechanisms. Uh, to get around that and, and things like reading the defense better, you know, reading some of these exotic coverages better, being able to make plays maybe just a little bit further downfield or, or recognize single coverage, you know, on one side when, when he's got one of these burners going deep, whatever. Stuff like that might help him be able to compensate for some of that stuff and improve that value. But, you know, I, I think right now, like, his value around the NFL would probably be a second-round pick if the Eagles were just to be like, you know, Jalen Hurts is available, everybody. I'm sure they could field a future second-round offer for him. So, again, just by definition, the pick is fine, especially because he has a utility next to your team as a backup quarterback and sub-package player. You know, and, and, and as far as the, you know, the association with Carson Wentz, if Carson Wentz gets injured, tremendous, right? Like, you, you just devoted a little bit of draft resources, not even that much money, cap room, just a little bit of draft resources to bring in that guy, um, you know, and then he plays. If he plays well, you improve your chances of winning. He also improves potentially his trade value. So, I mean, to me, it's fine because Carson Wentz does have durability issues. So you need a number two guy, right? Like, you, you know, you're not convinced that Carson Wentz is going to go 16 games every year. So you needed that kind of a guy. Um, I'm totally fine with it as opposed to paying, you know, whatever Chase Daniels has made in his lifetime. Right? Yeah. Because Eagles, Eagles fans, you need to understand that, right? Like, if you're not going to pay the second round pick, you have to pay a different way, right? And the other way is overpaying on your cap room for a number two quarterback, which is fine. You can do that, but it's just a switching of resources. Then you could have used that second pick on a different position, but then you're going to have to devote, sink that money into an overpriced quarterback. So, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it, again, there's a lot of different factors that go into all these picks, but for me, Jalen Hurts sort of is an appropriate price for exactly what he is, and he's an asset just looking at it from like a stock market perspective that would have the chance of going up, you know, if, again, if, if he did well, if Wentz got injured, if, you know, the looks you see in camp, you know, in, in, in training camp games, et cetera, preseason games, once we get him back. So that's my take on it. Yeah, that's a great take, though. That's that's a perfect perspective. I, I really agree listening to that. I can't wait for people to hear this. Um, all the sub-packages and stuff like that, to me, I, I'm not a big fan of that stuff because I think it kills momentum with lots of offensive drives. But, I mean, the two-point conversion, if that, if that starts coming to more – normality then you have Jalen Hurts out there for the two-point conversion uh I'm all for that I think the Eagles might roll with some of that I'm not sure if they're gonna I, I can't see the Taysom Hill type stuff I just don't think that that's the type of maybe some quarterback draws maybe some quarterback run options but I I don't see them really incorporating as much as like the hype was about the Taysom Hill type packages when the when pick was announced uh but I that was a really great perspective I agree with you I think uh, long term this uh, no matter what, is going to pay off for the Eagles in some sort of way, some sort of fashion, to make Howie Roseman look smarter than dumber than what some the opinion seems to be. Because some Eagles fans are still against it, and then you have some people thinking Hurts going to take Wentz's job. So uh, great to hear your perspective on that. But let's let's keep moving on. Uh, so Colorado, one of our favorite places, because Lavisca Chenault is one of my favorite prospects. I can't wait to see him and DJ Shark and Gardner Minshew have fun this year in Jacksonville with the little talent they have around them. But they also had another player who was very raw uh, in Davion Taylor, who I thought they also used in an odd manner, just like Chanel. Uh, what is your take on Davion Taylor? He's a, he's a very interesting prospect. Um, boomer bust for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, absolutely boomer bust. I mean, what, what he is is a freak athlete. Right. And that's at this point, that's, that's really all that he is. He's, he's, 
he's you know for his size and his frame he's much much faster and athletic than he should be he was a guy who was you know on Colorado's track team and you know all this different stuff and he has sort of elements in his game of like a, of a linebacker you know sort of like linebacker size but he sort of has the safety mentality but he sort of is as fast as a as a cornerback you know mm-hmm. kind of like so you just have this stuff that's all over the place but he didn't play as much football as many other prospects that were drafted this year. Um, and when he did, you know, at the FCS level at Colorado, he didn't acquit himself, um, you know, as well as some other players that were drafted in his range. But again, you're talking about a guy who doesn't have as much field experience than some of these other guys. So he's much rawer. but what he does bring is NFL caliber athleticism. And, you know, we see guys like this that are, you could say overdrafted in the moment just because they're sort of drafted over, you know, whether it's their statistical profile, how well they played in college, et cetera. But, you know, it's a thing where, you know, a couple of years down the line, if, you know, if you have a guy, you know, that, that, that sort of fills out an athletic profile that can fill a role on, on your roster one way or the other, some of these guys in playoffs. So it's not an overdraft game where like, you know, Willie Gay is another example from this class of a guy who, he didn't play a ton. It was for different reasons, you know, in Willie Gay's case. But Willie Gay was just a tremendous athlete, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the linebacking crew. He was number two behind Isaiah Simmons. So he went in the second round to Kansas City, even though he basically only had, like, one season of snaps, like, all together at Mississippi State, if you put them all together. So, but, like, guys that are as athletically gifted as Taylor, they're going to go, you know, day one or day two. Um, and so the Eagles took a shot on him. They're going to have to do a lot of work with him. But again, you have a guy who has just incredible physical ability, who has these different elements in his game. So that, you know, we'll see what the Eagles can, can turn him into, but I'm sure the defensive, you know, the staff there is going to have a lot of fun trying to figure out what exactly he is. His athletic profile seems to be where the NFL is going at the linebacker position. That's pretty much all I can go on that, and that's really what only makes me excited about him. Because I mean, again, watching his Colorado film, it's just I've never seen anything like it. So unorthodox to watch this guy go cover the slot like and look like he's so out of position. But uh, again, the athletic profile is definitely where I would feel the NFL is heading at linebacker position. So hopefully that they can develop and pan out. I'm not incredibly confident because this team doesn't really develop linebackers that well. Uh, so we'll see, but uh, the athletic profile definitely makes you excited for his potential for sure. Uh, I, I I glad you clarified why you think like taking the risk in the third round is worth it because of how teams really jump for the athletic profile. I, I think that's really what the case was here, and I think it it's more justified just because of those reasons. Because uh, he went over a guy like Akeem Davis Gaither, who I thought was the better linebacker. So that's why I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about this, but you're right. I mean, you have to invest a higher pick in those type of athletic profiles if you want to. Uh, just use that projection. So I, I agree with that. That's a good take. Uh, but again, well, you yeah, go ahead. No, I, I mean, just, you know, to your point, like, yeah, Davis Gaither on the field way better. And we call it way, way, way better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's, he's a guy who's smaller. His athletic profile, you know, isn't tremendous or whatever. So, you know, you have to do projection the other way, right? Like, because now he's going to be facing all, you know, these superior athletes. He's going to be facing much bigger offensive line and right. get out blocks in the NFL, et cetera. Like, Taylor doesn't have those questions but the, the questions come from the other direction and so you're i mean one way or the other you're going to take something of a risk but if you're if you're betting on athleticism you know in the nfl drafts you're going to be right more than you're wrong you know then you're when you're bet, just betting on the stack guys that didn't test well so in terms of that i'm i'm philosophically i'm with the eagles there i agree with you as well that's uh, yeah that's a great great point but i uh, segue into this the speed speed and more speed the eagles philosophy heading into this draft apparently they got John Hightower and Quez Watkins as well. They're already flashing. Carson Wentz worked out in Houston with Quez Watkins, and that connection's already flashing in training camp already. What do you make of these two? What are your thoughts on these guys? They're just burners. Yeah. You know, I mean, they both have very similar profiles, just like uh, they're sort of a group of these guys that were going to, you know, sort of mid-day, mid-day three kind of guys, like in the draft. Darnell Mooney was another guy who went to the Bears. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but just sort of these these outside burner guys, you know, with, with four or three wheels and – Hightower and Watkins, very, very similar in that regard. Obviously, they both come from the, the G5, and they were used sort of in, in similar ways. They're just pop-to-top guys, you know, and so you're hoping, you know, that, like, you're hoping, like, to, to harken back a little bit. And you're hoping that you find an Alvin Harper type, you know, that can stay on the field and mm-hmm. just sort of force the safeties back because then they can create space on the other side of the field, right? Like, that's what 
the, the Raiders just hope that they lock that in with Henry Ruggs. You, you hope that you have the best evolution of that, where mm-hmm. it, it tilts the field. Then these other guys, sort of, you know, in the next phylum of, of the straight, you know, straight line speed burner type guys, you know, like Quez, Hightower, Mooney, like, you know, that sort of phylum or whatever, you're just hoping that you find. You know, a solid guy. You know, a solid number two would be would be perfect. But you know, if, if nothing else, just a guy that when he's on the field, he forces the defense to respect them in some way. You inch the safety back a little bit, create some space, or if they don't respect the speed, uh, you try to pop the top deep. Yeah, the Eagles need desperately need one of these guys to pan out. Uh, Quez Watkins is the guy that really is getting the most uh, hype so far in training camp. But uh, going back to John Ty- Hightower's Boise State tape. I thought he reminded me a little bit of John Brown in his game. Plus, he doesn't really drop that many passes. I think he had four drop passes on uh, seventy-one targets, I believe, last year. So, uh, I know he hasn't. Really, he's had. He's caught like two uh, downfield passes in training camp so far for touchdowns. Then the practice each day, but they're on Rizul Douglas, who is accustomed to getting burnt for those type of passes as well. But uh, to me, I think John Hightower in any other draft, I, I thought he was a third-round caliber pick. I'm not sure how higher you were on him but the Eagles desperately need one of these guys to even be like the Torrey Smith type impact to their team uh so I'm hoping like one of these guys finally pans out for them yeah 100 yeah and I think I think taking two shots um you know you just sort of improve your odds of that you know you know buying an extra lottery ticket um and yeah I I agree with that you know Hightower was on a team at Boise State that had a ton of receivers a lot, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he, there was a lot of different guys there to throw to, and they, they run the ball, you know, quite proficiently. You know, we've seen the, the guys come into the NFL, and they're going to have another NFL back here and, you know, come to us very soon. So, uh, you know, the the way that they play, it, it just didn't behoove throwing Hightower the ball more. You know, in the same way of, like, you know, Alabama had a ton of receivers. They ran the ball while you didn't see the ball go as much to Ruggs. Ruggs' utility in that, in that offense wasn't to be the volume guy. Right, like, mm-hmm. and then you look at Quez Watkins. You could argue that even though uh, Southern Miss had a good passing attack, you know, and, and Quez got his targets, um, their quarterback has kind of a noodle arm. You know, he's he's sort of like your prototypical this kid named Jack Abraham. He's sort of your prototypical G five quarterback where he's very accurate. Um, you know, sort of you know intermediate sector, short sector, whatever. Right. But downfield, um, the ball sails on him a little bit and flutters. So. Uh, you know, Quez, as far as that aspect of his game, I don't think, you know, it's sort of in, in the similar way to Darnell Mooney. He didn't get to show it quite as much as consistently throughout um, his career, but Quez showed that he could do a lot of different things. You know, he was one of the G5's best receivers these past couple years, and then obviously went to the combine and, and showed that his athleticism was for real. So I think taking the two dips there, I think you're going to find something, you know, from, from one of those two kids. I liked Hightower a little bit more. But I like both of them in college. They, they can both do things, you know, and, and that kind of speed, you can't teach it. And, and mm-hmm. that ability to make plays downfield, not every guy coming into the NFL has that, you know. So, and you need it on your roster, you know, just, just in terms of diversification and stuff like that and creating space for other guys. So I, I like that the Eagles took a couple shots there, and I agree with you. I, I think there's a decent shot one of those guys pans out for him at least. Awesome, because they desperately need it. So that's that would be amazing. That works out. Hopefully both work out. But I mean, if one of them works out, that'd be great. Uh, but to wrap, wrap it up real quick, just get some quick thoughts on. Uh, I know nobody's really excited about offensive linemen, but Jack Driscoll probably is the prototypical uh, interior guy that you can use as the swing tackle, maybe perhaps. Uh, your thoughts on him? Yeah, Driscoll's interesting. Um, Driscoll's a guy. If you look at his tape and you look at his PFF grading numbers. He should have gone higher, mm-hmm. you know, like playing in the best conference in college football, and he excelled over multiple years playing at a blue blood. Um, you know, his thing, the biggest thing is, what position does he play at the next level? What position can you lock Driscoll into long term and say, okay, that's our starter? And I think that was the disconnect between his college production and his tape and, you know, where he ended up getting drafted. And so, you know, I, I think at the very least with Driscoll, you're looking at like, uh, uh, I think I think Nick Punto is a, a utility player for the twenty. I believe he played for the Phillies as well. Mm-hmm. So I think I can use this as a metaphor. You're sort of looking at a, at a Nick Punto, but like a, you know, a utility guy, but a backup offensive lineman. The, you know, the, at the very least, that's that's what you're hoping that you got in Driscoll, a guy who you know has proven it could potentially back up up to four you know spots on the line. You know, be a swing guy, and then hopefully, you know, if if he adds some weight, which he has to do, I don't know if he has the frame to do it. But if he can add a little weight and, and keep moving as well as, as he moved at Auburn, maybe you have a little bit more there 
but I think at the very least, Eagles are looking at, um, you know, a guy with a moderate ceiling and very little bust potential. Just, I mean, because, you know, that's, that's what he is. He, you know, he's, he, he's a solid player. The, the limitations there, they all have to do with his frame and his play strength, but he can move around a little bit. Like I said, he, he proved it in the SEC. So I, I think you're talking a good backup who can cover a bunch of positions at, at, at worst. And the Eagles love Nick Puto-type offensive linemen to have at their disposal. I mean, uh, Big V just got a huge contract with the Lions, so uh, they needed somebody to replace him. I think Driscoll's the perfect guy. Uh, but his teammate, uh, Prince Tegawahu, I thought, I mean, I know medicals and this year was a really weird draft process. I thought it was way better than a six-round pick. Uh, this is a guy who I, I watching his tape at, uh, at Auburn, he handled the SEC pass rush pretty well, and especially came on uh, Chazan from LSU. I thought he his reps against him were really spectacular. I know that there's some medical issues with his knee, but I mean, if Andre Dillard really flops for the Eagles, maybe they have a project guy here that they could maybe lean on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, you know, I, I was shocked during the drafts when Prince kept falling. You know, because I kept, you know, you put out like the best available, best available, best available, and after you know, the third round or whatever, maybe even, you know, getting into the third round, Prince was always near the top of my best available list. And then he, he fell all, all the way down to where he did. Um, I was looking for information during the draft of why this was happening. And of course, that's what came back. You know, and I started asking people that, um, you know, the knee was worse than had been let on or that we knew about in, in the draft media. So that's the reason that he fell. But, you know, as far as taking him there, it's just worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. Like the upside is just worth it at that point. Right. Like even if you cut him, um, you know, just from like sort of an odds perspective, it, it just makes sense to use that pick on him. He's he's worth it. If, if the knees are shot, you know, or that affects him in some way that affects him on the field or whatever. OK, you know, I mean, you, you didn't use that higher pick on him, but, you know, obviously he's a very raw guy. You know, he, he's a native of Nigeria and he just started playing football in high school. And so for a guy to go from that to being a top recruit to learning, you know, offensive line play and then performing pretty well in the SEC. He did have his ups and downs, but his his high end tape, and you mentioned this, his high end tape against some good prospects is, you know, you can put it up there with with some of the other top tackle prospects in this class. Um, you know, everything's not the best with him. Again, you're gonna have to teach him a lot and you have the knee issues there so you know you have you have some mechanical things to work on if he's even you know you know if he's even going to be sort of healthy and sound enough um to do that but again where they took him it's it's just juice worth the squeeze it it, it totally makes sense he's he, he was worth more than that pick just on upside alone so thumbs up on that no matter what way it goes right six round flyer for potential is definitely something I'm always going to take a flyer on for sure. And Sean Bradley, these Temple small linebackers always find their way uh, getting drafted. He kind of reminds me of uh, Tyler Mikovich, the guy that they had back there uh, a couple of years ago as well. Uh, he's already turning heads at training camp. Uh, way, I mean, obviously he's a little more polished than Davion Taylor, so it was so, sort of expected. But uh, what do you think about him? I'm still on the fence of thinking anything more than special teams, but uh, wondering what your thoughts are on Sean Bradley. Yeah, he's, just a, he's a little linebacker that just zips around, right? You know, um, you know, and again, going back to what we talked about before, athleticism, you know, on that second level there in the defense, it, you don't see as much of it. You know, like when when, when you want a guy who, you know, who's going to be like a, a 65th, 70th, 75th percentile athlete on the second level of your defense, you're going to have to, you know, you're either going to have to pay a little bit or in the draft process, you're going to have to get a guy who maybe didn't prove as much in college and, you know, sort of hope you can teach him the rest. And Bradley brings that athletic profile to the NFL. You know, what what can he become? We'll see. Um, but, he, you know, he's a guy who can zip around. He can play in coverage and everything else. You know, I, I think they're just going to have to teach him. But he certainly has traits. He has athletic traits. And, you know, he, he plays with a certain purposefulness, you know, on, on the field as well. Obviously, he's a local guy. They've seen plenty of them. So, you know, he, he's another interesting athlete there to add to the second level. Just see what you sort of have it on. I'd rather buy more stock into him than I would TJ Edwards per se, and that's who the Eagles have slated to start at the Mike linebacker this year. I don't know if you were that high on TJ Edwards coming out of Wisconsin, but that's who the Eagles seem to be rolling with that Mike linebacker for starters right now. Uh, but uh, what do you think about him, man? I'm just curious. Yeah, I, 
I, I guess I wasn't quite as high on him, but again, you know, I mean, they're, they're slightly different type, you know, player types. And so it's like, you know, how quickly can Bradley develop? And, you know, is that sort of the direction that you want to take your defense? I think Edwards is a bit more reliable. Certainly he has the, you know, the body of work behind him a little bit more, but I think in terms of, you know, athletic upside, I, I think it's, you know, I, you know, just in terms of, you know, again, a guy who can sort of zip around, play sideline to sideline, you know, and you can also sort of project him to stay with, with tight ends and, and running backs in coverage. Um, I think Bradley could be that guy. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see the way that shakes out for sure. Yeah, and then Casey Tuhill is probably the perfect wide nine development type uh, defensive end, uh, well, I would say. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, Tuhill's interesting, right? Like, you know, he, he's a guy who came in and he tested very well. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he... He opened a lot of eyes and, you know, it's, it's interesting that he didn't, you know, sort of develop more at, at Stanford, you know, I mean, you know, considering the athletic specimen he is, I mean, what, 6'4", 250, I, I think he ran the four sixes and he had a, he had a 30 or 40 inches, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and he did play well last season, right? Like, you know, in, in his first season as a starter. So we, we just didn't have as much exposure to Two Hill. You know, he was caught behind some guys and didn't get on the field until later on. But, you know, he's a hard worker. We know um, he gets after it, he, and he has that athletic profile. He also has the frame, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, do the Eagles want to play him on the edge? Do they want to play him at linebacker? You know, I mean, there there was, you know, with Tuhill, there he was one of those guys where there was some, you know, disagreement and argument about what's his best position fit. But, you know, if, if the Eagles can find the right spot for him, the Eagles took a few guys like this, you know, where it's like, their projections a little bit up in the air. It's like, you know, how do you want to use him? But he sort of has the athleticism to cover or the brain to cover, you know, multiple spots. It'll be interesting to see how the Eagles, um, you know, see him and how they decide to deploy him. But again, you know, just in terms of like hustle, smarts, frame, athleticism, he absolutely has the package that's worth the pick that they invested in him. So, you know, we'll just, you know, we're in cam now, so we'll just see what we have in him. Yeah, I mean, he he fits the athletic uh, type edge type guy. I mean, his his film suggests higher than a seventh round pick too. So uh, I agree with you. I think they just took projection here, and I I, I think this is the perfect like, defensive end for them to, to develop and keep in the wings. Maybe practice squad for a year and see what they have next year in him. But I I, I like that pick as well. And then a couple undrafted free agents that are really becoming fan favorites are uh, Baylor's Graylin Arnold, who I like a lot. I hope he makes the team. I think he could be a, a really good over the top. See, I don't know what you think about him, but I do think he's a, a good uh, free safety type prospect. And then Adrian Killens is usually where the NFL is going with, with these receiving scat back running backs. Uh, I think this is definitely a good practice squad staff situation for the Eagles. Maybe another Boston Scott uh, type Darren Sproles type project with him. And Michael Warren's just like the bruiser type back uh, that really just here to compete with Elijah Holyfield for uh, that role on the team. What do you think about these three? Yeah, so um, Warren, I I like Warren's going to be interesting to me to see how his career goes. I I like Warren. I I always liked watching him in college, um, and I probably ranked Warren just a little bit maybe higher than I should have. I knew better. Um, because he's not athletic at all. You know, I, I compared him to, to fat Rob of the, uh, the Redskins and that's what he, I mean, he's going to be mm-hmm. a short yardage back. Um, but he's a guy who like, you know, every time you hand him the ball, he's like fighting you off of the, you know, a sock full of rocks. You know, I mean, he's, he's just a guy who's not fun to tackle and he's just, he's going to grind out yards. But I mean, you're talking about a guy who immediately going to the NFL as a rookie is going to be one of the lesser athletic running backs in the league. So it's just going to be sort of interesting to see if he can carve out a short yardage role. Um, I, I think that's sort of what he is. It's obviously it's not very valuable in the NFL. So that's why he went undrafted, but I think he's going to be reliable, at least in terms of that, you know, if, if he can find the Eagles or another team to give him that role on, on, you know, on, on, on their roster or whatever, um, you know, as far as Arnold, um, Arnold's a very good college player. You know, I mean, he's, you know, I, my brother went to Baylor, so I, I watch a lot of Baylor football live. Um, very, very good player. You know, very good cover guy in, in the Big 12. Um, you know, his his issues are limitations that God put on him. Um, and so, it, you know, he's, he's going to be one of those guys, you know, obviously overlooked because of this. Um, you know, is he able to sort of overcome some of these, you know, um, you know limitations that he has? Um, you know, athletic-wise or whatever to, you know, become a, a regular contributor, you know, at the next level. Some guys can. You know, we've, uh, you know, Nick Needham was a, was a, was a you know, underactive guy the year before who came in and contributed immediately, um, even though his, his testing numbers were terrible. 
Um, you know, we'll we'll see about Arnold. Um, and who was the third guy that you mentioned? Uh, Adrian Killings, uh, UCF. I thought he was a playmaker, so I was excited to hear that the Eagles got him. Yeah, Killings is interesting. Uh, you know, UCF, they, it's like they grow these guys on, on trees or something. It, right, because that's where I live by. I live right by UCF, yeah, so I've been seeing all these guys lately, and I'm like, where are these kidding these guys from? They have a lot of talent lately. Yeah, it's like UCF gets all of them, you know, and it's like they have like five of them in their backfield. You know, these mm-hmm. these guys that just sort of squirt out and they, you know, they catch the ball and they can do these different things or whatever. Um, Tillens is interesting. He was caught in that, you know, a, a, an extremely crowded backfield, um, you know, so we'll see. You know, I mean, he, he wasn't able to show, I think, the full extent of his you know, his, his skills at UCF, but he certainly has skills. I mean, you know, we, we saw that he's, he's flashed on tape and everything like that. So he, he does have skills, you know, and skills that can be deployed. It's just going to be, you know, it's, it's up to the Eagles. Like, how do they want their sort of backfield to look behind the top couple guys? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, who, who do you want there? Do you, you know, you, you want sort of your, your scat back guy that can, you know, catch the ball or whatever? Do you want to, you want more of the, you know, the brawling short yardage guy? You know, I mean, that, that's more of a philosophical issue, but I think, you know, whatever direction they want, they have a couple different guys that they can look at. So, you know, fill a back roster spot as far as a backup running back. Absolutely. All right, guys. So that is NBC Sports, Roto World's lead college football NFL draft analyst, Thor Nystrom, joining Eagles Brawl. You can follow him on Twitter at ThorKU. Find all his great articles and work right there on Twitter. Thor, thanks for joining Eagles Brawl, man. I greatly appreciate it. Appreciate you, Connor. What's going on, guys? It's Connor from Eagles Brawl here. Have you been struggling to find an affordable car detailing company lately? Are those noticeable scratches on your lovely vehicle making you agitated every time you see them? Well, I have just a spot for you. Check out Why Not Us Detailing, an auto detailing company serving Chester County and the Philadelphia area. From wash and wax to paint correction, Why Not Us Detailing does it all. Call 610-425-425. 7239 to schedule your appointment today. That's 610-425-7239. You can also reach the company on Instagram by following their page, Why Not Us Detailing. Tell the guys Eagles Brawl sent you for discounts on your next automobile service. Give Why Not Us Detailing a chance to make your car shine today. Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new Filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your Filtry air filters today at Filtry.com. Let's clear the air. A lot of us are looking for ways to start our day feeling more joy and appreciation. And while some of us write gratitude lists or do yoga, others pour themselves a bowl of their favorite cereal, Honey Nut Cheerios. Because not only are Honey Nut Cheerios delicious, they can help lower cholesterol as part of a heart-healthy diet. So maybe the secret to a great mood all day is a little yoga. Then writing your gratitude list over a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. Learn more about a heart-healthy lifestyle at Cheerios.com. At Freedom Mortgage, freedom means helping veterans use their homes for better living. Whether that be through refinancing your mortgage, accessing cash through your home's equity, or helping you purchase a new home, making home financing a custom fit. That's freedom. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash VA to learn more. Freedom Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 2767, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org, 951 Yamato Road, Boca Raton, Florida, 33431, 800-220-3333, licensed in all 50 states. For complete licensing information, visit www.freedommortgage.com forward slash state dash licensing, equal housing opportunity. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.